God, hi. Okay, so we are doing something a little bit different than I have traditionally done on this podcast. I am recording from the Jackson Hole Park, like the central park in the middle of Jackson. So as we have discussed on previous episodes, I am a week and a half or so into living out of my Prius and traveling full time. And it is literally the most fun I've ever had in my entire But that means I do not have a regular normal place to record. So we are recording from the park. It's really pretty. There's a lot of people around and it's just a gorgeous day in Jackson. I think the high today is like 70. I am having a wonderful time. I'm going to be disappearing into the Wind River Range in Wyoming today. Uh, David... Justin and I are going to be backpacking in the winds for five days. So I really haven't slackened on recording the pod ahead of time. So when I first started this podcast, I had episodes on backlog. Like I had, if I was posting an episode on a Wednesday, then I had already recorded and edited an entire episode the week before. So then my MacBook decided to forget it had a password and then locked me out and then I had to restart the whole thing and I lost all of my files. So that is why I am recording everything basically the day before it's due. I mean, the due date is my own set due date, but whatever. It's been really fun to keep you guys super super updated i think that's been the cool thing about having absolutely no backlog is you guys are getting to hear what's going on with me literally day of like i am going to be talking a bit about my 24 hour race today and then some interesting stuff that's been going on in my like dating life that i think has some lessons that could be really applicable to anybody listening so that's what i want to get into on this episode and it's cool because everything's so raw and fresh and present. I really haven't had the time to sit down and process it until this exact moment. Basically, we raced our 24-hour race starting Saturday at 2 p.m. ish and then finished at 3 p.m. So we had to do a group ride to the start. We literally got on our mountain bikes and rode seven miles to the start before the actual start of the race. But then we had 24 hours from the start start at 2.50 or whatever to get back. So we did make it under the cutoff. Yay. But I will definitely talk more about those details in a second here. So that was Saturday, Sunday. I was racing. And then after the race on Sunday, of course, we were so completely wrecked. We'd been awake for 30 plus hours which is such a nightmare and then we fell asleep at I took like a three-hour nap and then I also fell asleep at 9 p.m. and didn't get up until eight or nine the next morning also and then all day Sunday we were what did David and I do we we went floating on the river which was cool we went and floated on the river that I had PTSD from from the race which I will talk about in a second and then we also drove to Jackson, which it's so beautiful here. We were in uh, Driggs, Idaho prior to this and then drove to Jackson and it's such a vibe here. It's really interesting. (sighs) 
But yeah, now I'm in Jackson and I'm heading into the winds tonight. So that means I need to record and edit the podcast from a fully formed, clear perspective, which I'm finally feeling more clear headed today. I've been pretty foggy the last couple days. But so today is Tuesday. It is June 28th, which is cool. It's almost July. My leave of absence officially started last Tuesday because we had Monday, Juneteenth off. It was the the 20th, but that was, we had a paid holiday. So I had Juneteenth off, which means my official leave of absence started last Tuesday. It's officially been one week. It's been the best week of my entire life. I feel so free, so happy. Everything's just totally fine. And that's what I've kind of been searching for. So there's been Lots of really interesting developments, okay? I will now begin to talk about the 24-hour race in all of its chaos and glory. I would like it noted, it was not my idea to run a 24-hour race, okay? So yes, technically, I'm signed up for Havelina 100 in October, but this was quite different. I did not know adventure racing was a sport. About three or four months ago, David, him and I had only just become friends, by the way. He's one of my closest friends, but we've only really been friends the last six or seven months. About three months into being friends, he says to me, hey, do you know what adventure racing is? I'm like, no. He says, it's really cool. It's mountain biking. It's paddling. And it's like running, trekking, orienteering. I said, okay. He said, there's a 24-hour event in Idaho over end of June weekend. We should sign up. And I said, okay. So he signed us up for the race, and I bought a mountain bike. I started learning how to mountain bike. And the funny thing here is I'm a trail runner, right? So our natural enemy in the wild is mountain bikers because from a trail runner perspective mountain bikers are so rude like they don't yield when they should yield and they go so fast and you know sometimes they don't say hi like I've just always had beef as a trail runner with mountain bikers and when I bought a mountain bike I posted an Instagram caption like you either die a hero or live long enough to see yourself become a villain and I have become a villain mountain biking so fun I cannot believe I slept on it for this long it's like being a kid again like riding these really fun downhills and then grinding out on the uphill you can get your heart rate so high it's just really fun I really enjoy mountain biking so that was uh, maybe February I was still kind of seeing this guy from a while ago but so I started learning how to mountain bike and then my friend Derek broke his collarbone in front of me and then I started training for Boston and a bunch of longer running races so my mountain biking training just kind of fell to the wayside which is okay like I developed enough skills to get through the race for sure I would like to get more comfortable on technical downhills but other than that I feel like I'm in a pretty good place with my biking abilities side note also my going away party we had like four going away events uh the last week of work for me and in that week everyone who went to my going away events developed this weird cold so we all had a cold I was sick during the race David had bronchitis during the race also I breathed in so much dust that my allergies have been absolutely attacking me it's been awful my throat is so itchy and you can't cough in public in this day and age without getting some serious looks so hasn't 
really been ideal. I'm sure you could tell in the last episode I was a little sicky icky. I had a weird um, stuffy voice probably like this. But now we're back to somewhat normal but still stuffy and definitely coughing, itchy throat, all the good stuff. Okay, I'll stop talking about my symptoms. It's disgusting. So I learned how to mountain bike and then I spent a ton of time doing weird endurance events, just being on my feet for... 12 to 17 hours at least once a month for the last three or four months which is so fun I just love those really long days coming into the 24-hour race I was definitely super nervous I have this general philosophy with things in my life where if it doesn't scare me it's not going to be interesting or fun for me. I love to do things that are ranging from a little bit to a lot of it scary. I think that's kind of my superpower. I get a lot of questions on my Instagram like, how did you start doing this? Or were you ever afraid of this? And I would like it noted that I am human, okay? I do fear the unknown. I do fear instability. But I think, I don't want to call it courage because that sounds so like self-aggrandizing but I definitely lean into things that feel scary and I think it's because I'm a really good calculated risk taker so I won't do things that are just flat out stupid like I'm not gonna do anything where I'm risking a really serious injury or death I will never like free solo that's just not that's outside of my comfort like way outside of my comfort I wouldn't even call it comfort zone I would just call it life zone like that's my living tolerance but I like to lean into things that get me out of my comfort zone and make me feel a little scared because I think it makes me feel alive I've never felt more alive than when I'm doing these really long days in the mountains. Physical suffering is a really important attribute for me. So when I'm seeing people, if they know how to physically suffer, it's like very attractive to me because I think I've said this before, we live such comfortable lives. We all just go around living in our comfort zones and our special little bubbles. And we try to do things that aren't too scary, but maybe they're just scary enough. Or maybe you're very risk at adverse oh my god i've said this before on the pod risk averse adverse averse Uh, very i'm gonna go with averse most of us are very risk averse and we just have different tolerances and it takes little baby steps of getting out of your comfort zone to work through that and myself i think you know now i live in a car i actually live in my prius and living in the van was a really great i call it a baby step but it's not it's a huge step to move into a van it was a really good first step to moving into my prius and i actually got a question the other day on my instagram why don't you live in a van and i'm like Like, honestly, I have everything I need in a Prius. I don't want the extra space of living in a van. I love that my car is small and I can park anywhere and I can sleep in the back. I have no qualms about that. I think it's so fun and it's such an interesting little caveat or challenge to the whole car life thing. So I've really enjoyed living in the Prius for that reason. We have gone way off topic from the 24 hour race. (laughs) Let's rein it back in. Here we are. Saturday afternoon or so and the race starts at 2 p.m. I hate races with late starts. It's so awful trying to get yourself to a good 
point, a good headspace or competition in the middle of the day. Like high rocks events usually start somewhere between noon and like 5 p.m., which just isn't a good zone for me. I'm definitely a morning person. I do my best focused work in the morning. But this race was different because there were so many logistics involved that you almost needed to start in the evening or afternoon. If we had started in the morning, I don't think we would have been able to get all of our gear together. Adventure racing is so different from ultra running. So ultra running, I just show up. I pack a couple gels to get me through the first couple aid stations. I have a little water bottle and maybe a vest and I just go. Like I wear as little as possible and I just go. But adventure racing, it's like triathlon. So triathlon, you know, swim, bike, run. And there's so much gear involved. There's transition points. There's so many little things you need to keep track of, so many details. And I am definitely not a detail-oriented person. So that was where I struggled the most with adventure racing. That morning, early afternoon, we were getting ourselves together. We were actually packing our food up until the minute that we had to leave for our group ride to the start. I bought just a bunch of junk, which is the fun part of endurance sports but also the shitty part you have to eat just crap and food tastes so horrible when you're 8 10 12 20 hours into an event and you just have to keep eating which is awful and I will describe my fuel plan in a second we had to pack up all of our food get ourselves together get all our gear in order all of our biking gear our paddling gear there were different places that our bikes versus our paddling gear had to go and then we also had a team bag There were a lot of moving parts to keep track of, and thankfully Blake and David kept me together pretty well for that. They, you know, call us over to get started on our group ride to the start, and I'm like freaking out a little bit because we're starting this huge 24-hour adventure, and I know how it feels to be up overnight on an event like this. Staying up all night is the worst, especially when you're doing some kind of physical activity. It is such a nightmare. It is not a fun time. The last overnight thing I did was the White Mountain Traverse that I talked about a couple episodes ago, and staying up all night for that was miserable. We were so incredibly sleep-deprived and not in a good place. I felt so drained, so I was not looking forward to feeling like that for this. And then the fueling I wasn't sure about, and then the fact that we had, oh, I guess I haven't described the race course yet, seven mile ride to the start, slash through the first transition area. Then we trek for four to seven hours, or four to seven miles, no, seven to 11 miles. So let's take four to seven hours, which it fully did. I think it took us five or six hours to get through that section. Then we head into a paddle, so a 12 mile paddle. After the paddle, we had a 12 hour section on our mountain bikes, and it said 40 to 50 miles of mountain biking, a couple miles of trekking because you have to drop your bikes and go search for checkpoints, which is the coolest part of adventure racing for sure. In this race, basically they gave us a map. There were required checkpoints and then there were also optional alphabetical checkpoints. So it was like CP1 through CP14 were all the required checkpoints. And then we had A through Z of optional checkpoints for more points. The point system was that it was 10 points per checkpoint. And then we were required to get checkpoints 1 through 14, but we also had to get two optional checkpoints R through Z, which were all on the mountain biking section in this little cluster down a ravine basically, and yeah, everyone was struggling with that section. So we had to get two optional points as well as all of the required checkpoints. That's the premise of this race. We get a map, 
we get the roads. They don't list any trails. It's a topo map, so we were using our map and compass to navigate, but we didn't know what trails we were on or where the trails were going. We get on the group ride. It's pretty chill to start, and then basically we get, you know, seven miles or so in, and they say, okay, go for it. Everyone takes off on their bikes, and we're on like a dirt road, and then we have to cross the Teton River. I have the funniest pictures and videos. It was actually like Spartan racing on crack because we had to go over some barbed wire or under some barbed wire with our bikes, and then we had to pick our bikes up and wade across like a deep moving river twice (laughs) and then after that we missed our first checkpoint so we had to go back we had to double back and get our checkpoint at this point my pants are already soaked right because I just had to wade through like hip high water and I was like wow this is gonna be a really fun but really long day right we get to our first transition point we drop our bikes and we take off on our trekking section in the trekking section we start looking for our first couple checkpoints so I believe in this section it was checkpoints two to three through maybe seven so we had a couple checkpoints we needed to find as soon as we start looking for checkpoints we immediately run into at least first we ran into two teams of women from utah who these women gave me life they are life goals first of all they were all road runners because i talked to them and i was like hey like what do you guys do like are you spartan racers are you ultra athletes like what's the deal and they're like oh you know we mostly do triathlon and marathon type stuff like road stuff purely and i was like oh boy this is quite different from running on the road i think my ultra chaos background has definitely prepared me for things like this mentally more than anything else because i'm just so down for anything these ladies are coming from this road background right and they were like oh my god can we team up with you guys like we don't know how to use a compass like we don't know how to read our map I was I was so scared for them and they were fast too right so they drop us looking for another checkpoint they find another team to follow so they drop us and I don't see them the rest of the race right so we get into a pack of like 20 people who were all looking for checkpoint three it was hidden in some trees and like nobody could find it so we eventually find checkpoint three and then uh we lose the Utah ladies they were so fast they just disappeared we started heading up this mountain we had to find this other checkpoint that was just lost in the trees we met like a group of guys so i was the only girl in a pack of i actually counted 20 dudes there was a bachelor party there were a couple teams of three or four of guys or a couple partners of dudes like everyone's like 45 and older except for this bachelor party and i actually posted a tiktok with the bachelor party and someone recognized them from it and sent it to them and then after the race they told me like our friends sent us your tiktok it's just funny that happens a lot at races i usually at least one person at like every race i've gone to except the mexico race has recognized me from tiktok so that's been super cool i always love to say hi i would love to do some kind of like meet and greet type thing like in a big city not like meet and greet sounds so conceited but just like everyone's always like oh my god like let's hang out when you're in the city and I'm like there's so many of you can we just all hang out as a group so I'm hoping to do some kind of like group activity in like Salt Lake City I think that'd be really fun but anyways I ended up in this big pack of dudes and we're like six seven hours into this okay so we started at 2 45 we were in this group until like 8 45 9 the sun didn't go down until 9 45 thank god but we reach our paddle section at 9 45 and temps are dropping let me tell you the sun went down and it got really really cold especially on that water most of 
the watercraft that people had were inflatable kayaks. So the deal with this race was that we had to have inflatable watercraft just because of the constraints of transporting everything. So I borrowed a pack raft from one of my friends. David owns a pack raft, so he used a pack raft. And then Blake had a stand-up paddleboard. This man literally paddled 12 miles on a stand-up paddleboard. And let me tell you, he was also the driest and warmest of all of us. I was pissed. We inflate our craft. It's like 10 o'clock, I'd say, by the time we get on the river. I get on the river and I get in my pack raft backwards because I didn't realize what way the pack raft would go because I've never been in a fucking pack raft. As soon as I get in the water, two guys in a kayak come and they like bump into my craft and push me. Oh, hang on. They get into the water and they immediately push me downstream. And I'm like fighting for my life in my pack raft. I can't even tell you. I was paddling so hard trying to get back to the dock and I was literally swept under a bridge. People were watching me literally spin in circles trying to get back. I fight for my life. Blake comes and like pulls me back to shore. Thank God. The first checkpoint in the paddle section was upstream. We had to paddle upstream in this very fast moving river. I learned that the term for when the rivers are super full is juicing. So the Teton River was juicing, right? So we paddle for like 20 minutes upstream. I'm dying, dude. I'm like, this is going to be a long day or long night because it's dark by the time we get on the river. Uh, my paddles didn't or my paddle didn't have little rubber stoppers to like flick water off so I was getting completely soaked I was in rain pants and a rain jacket and I ended up absolutely soaked so the water temp was like 50 it was like sub 50 degrees like pretty cold we paddle upstream we get our checkpoint we turn around and start going downstream and every time I put my paddle in the water I am getting just wet like I was sitting in water water was running up my jacket my rain pants were getting wet and like soaked through somehow I was sitting in water so water was coming like down the back of my pants we were on this paddle section for almost four hours I think it was three hours and 45 minutes that we were in this paddle section I am not exaggerating this was the darkest place my brain has ever been in my entire life I was so miserable and the fact that it was dark so it was after 10 p.m it was completely dark we didn't get off the river until 1 45 it was dark it was really really cold so it was like unexpectedly cold for the time of year and everything so it was like 30 degrees you couldn't see where you were going because it was completely dark when you turn your headlamp on there was like a mist rising off the river so you couldn't see anything <laughs> And it just felt like this never ending. It was hell. I have never been in physical hell the way that I was. My teeth were chattering. I was shivering so violently. I was so cold. I couldn't feel my hands. I kept trying to turn my headlamp on and my fingers wouldn't move to hit the button. And I was actually concerned I was going to get frostbite. I was chattering so violently. I couldn't feel my body. My words were like not coming out right. Like I was definitely hypothermic, right? So then... I'm already completely soaked and we finally get through the paddle. So around two and a half hours in, by the way, time, it felt like 12 hours, but it also felt like 20 minutes. Around two and a half hours in, David uh, looks at his watch and he says, oh, look, we probably only have an hour left. He said an hour and I had to dissociate. 
I literally dissociated. I said, there is no way that I can functionally, consciously be on this river for another hour because I am in hell. And thank God there was no way to like bail out. Like we were truly just stuck on this river. I think that was a thing that was the only saving grace of the paddle section was that there was just no option to bail out. There were two, three bridges along the way, but even if we'd gotten off on that bridge, we would have been stranded. David says, oh, there's another hour. And my mind, I was just in such a dark place. I've never been in such a dark place. I can usually turn it around in any kind of running or other event purely because, you know, there's light at the end of the tunnel. It's not the middle of the night. It's not midnight. (laughs) I'm not frozen. I'm not hypothermic, but this was dark. Like I actually thought I was going to have to go to the hospital and I was so, I've never wanted to quit something so badly, (laughs) but there just wasn't really an option to do that. So we finally, finally, finally get to the end of the paddle section. And the craziest part is that you couldn't tell that the end was there until you were a couple yards from it just because of how dark it was. So I saw a fire and I didn't want to get my hopes up because my brain had been playing tricks on me the entire paddle. I see a fire and then I see a bridge and then I realize that it's the end because they're calling us in and I almost get swept under the bridge and it was super low to the top of the water level because the river was so full and I was getting swept under. I didn't have the physical strength or the grip strength because my hands were frozen to pull myself out. So I literally had to jump out of my boat into the freezing river to get myself to the transition point I come into the transition point and everyone's like stressed for me right because I just came in from swimming in the fucking river everyone else is frozen solid I immediately strip off all my clothes and for the rest of the race everyone kept saying to me oh my god you're the naked frozen girl aren't you and I'm like that that is me that's me I'm the naked frozen girl and anyone who's raced with me knows I race in next to nothing I hate wearing clothes when I'm racing because I run super super hot this was different. I was hypothermic. I had to take off all my wet clothes. I had layers of pants on. Okay. So I took off my rain pants. I took off my rain jacket. I had a merino wool base layer under my rain jacket. I'd take off because it was soaked. I had to take off my, I was wearing these Merrill like joggers that are really good for hiking and stuff. Those are soaked. I had to take those off. And then I was also in soaked bike shorts. So I wore bike shorts under my pants the whole day because of the really long biking section. So I was just completely soaked. I sat in front of the fire. People, I couldn't even drink anything hot because I was shivering so much. I truly was not sure I was going to get out of that transition area that night. I came into it in such a dark headspace, but completely dissociated from my physical experience. We spent two hours at the transition area, my worst time at an aid station ever. I've never spent more than like 10 minutes at an aid station. Everyone was soaked and wet coming in and sitting in front of this little fire. So two hours was like actually an average time. To get myself from the point where I felt like I was going to die. I felt like I was going to have to go to the hospital. By the time I left that aid station and keep in mind when you're leaving this aid station you are heading off on a 40 to 50 mile biking section in the mountains you're climbing you're back out in the wilderness like I couldn't even wrap my head around the fact that I still had another 12 hours left of this race we didn't leave the aid station until almost 3 45 in the morning I had warmed myself up enough to the point where I wasn't shivering anymore I ate a package of like 
backpackers mac and cheese because when we were on that paddle section I didn't eat anything the entire time I just couldn't my hands were not working everything was in my pack everything was soaked I it just wasn't really an option to eat on on the pack so I didn't drink any water or eat for those four hours so at the aid station I really had to have a come to Jesus moment with myself I said Mac this sucks but you do not have an option to bail like there just truly wasn't any other option but to get myself on my bike and just go <laughs> and I think that's something I've learned through ultra running is that you can turn yourself around from almost any terrible scenario any depth of physical hell that you are in can be turned around by eating a meal drinking some water taking a moment to rest like anything can be turned around I'm a big believer in that this was definitely the most challenging experience I've ever had to come back from, but it is actually shocking how good I felt the rest of the day. So I leave the aid station after finally warming myself up. I had eaten some stuff. I drank some water, took some salt, and we head out on the section, and I had to dry all of my clothes off in the fire, and I ended up burning all of my pants. So I burned my Merrill joggers, and I burned my bike shorts. <laughs> and Blake, he's such a dad. He was such a sweetheart. I absolutely adore Blake. So Blake was one of Alex's friends, or I guess they'd never actually met until Rim to Rim to Rim, but they worked together. Alex has known Blake's dad like his whole life. Blake is such an emotional rock. Like, you ask him at any point in an activity how he's doing his answer will be I'm great like I'm doing good which is just it, it, he's just so stoic I've never heard him complain about anything actually I did hear him complain about one thing so while we were in our race we were talking about something like I asked him how he was doing of course and he tells me that his left IT band had been really bugging him and I was like oh like when did that start and he was like oh you know it was after the Grand Canyon but it's fine now that's the only thing I've ever heard this man complain about in the four months that I've known him and we've done some pretty shitty activities together Blake I completely adore him he's like such a rock I didn't want to let Blake down so he got my backpacking meal together he got all my clothes dry for me he helped me pack my bag I asked him if he needed help with anything he said no he he's so self-sufficient so <laughs> Blake helps me get my shit together and we leave that aid station and I don't think anybody who saw me at that aid station thought I was going to make it out of that aid station I had jumped out of the river I was hypothermic I was miserable I actually didn't cry once during this entire race. I almost did on the river, but then I, I don't know, I was too cold to cry. We leave the aid station, it's completely dark. It's 3.45 in the morning. Within 30 or 40 minutes of leaving that aid station, the sun was starting to rise. Like we could see just a little crack of light on the horizon and I was still cold. Keep in mind, we were biking uphill and I was still pretty frozen to my core despite being in every layer that I had that was dry. So we're biking uphill, the sun rises and we get the most amazing sunrise over the Tetons. I cannot emphasize enough how beautiful the views in this race were. I would come back to this race purely for the views. They were incredible. The sun is rising and everyone is, everyone's, I don't know, me and Blake were actually in a pretty good place. David was not doing so well. So if you saw my TikTok updates throughout the race, David hit a pretty rough point. I'd say like 10 to 12 hours in the race. Basically after the paddle section, he was really struggling. He does not like uphill biking and this entire race was just uphill. 
So he was not in a good place. You should have seen him. He totally had that thousand yard stare of just death and pain. I was really, really concerned that he was gonna, we were gonna have to call search and rescue. And the thing is we reached our checkpoint, the first checkpoint after the paddle station, after climbing probably three to 4,000 feet on a bike. We had biked miles. Blake and I would bike ahead of him and then wait for him. So we're at the checkpoint waiting for David. He comes up, he tells us, you know, he's fucking dying, which understandable. It was his first endurance event ever. Pretty bold to go straight to a 24 hour adventure race for your first endurance event. He was not good. He told me, I got kind of annoyed because he told me he stopped eating and drinking after the river. He's like, you know, I just feel like I'm kind of done. Like my legs feel cashed out. I'm just not feeling that great. And I'm like, David, David, I gave him the pep talk that I always have needed to hear as an ultra runner like the shit I had to figure out on my own was what I was telling to David said David listen this sucks like yeah this sucks and that is the point we don't sign up for 24 hour adventure races thinking it's going to be fun and rainbows and roses the whole time right like to be clear we came here to challenge ourselves okay so you need to drink some water eat like four gels right now just slam a couple gels turn your attitude around and let's go like I gave him some seriously tough love and after I was like damn that was a pretty good pep talk and he was like it wasn't a good talk I'm like well you're just fucking grumpy because you're in physical pain okay so I give him a pep talk I give him like three or four pep talks tbh and the whole thing with ultra running and endurance is that whatever you think your physical limit is is what your physical limit is going to be if you believe that you can do anything, you're going to do it, right? If you believe that you can turn it around, you're going to turn it around. Training for ultras is just mentally preparing yourself for the demands of ultras. That is my entire spiel on running ultras, always. I just think your mindset is absolutely the most important part. And that's something I've learned from being around a lot of really good athletes this year is just they're all dying when they're racing. They're just dying faster and they believe that they can do it. So it's been really powerful for my own mindset to be like, you know what, this is going to suck, but we can do it. That's what got me through the adventure race. I, I don't think I was prepared on the bike, but I had such a great day. So I'm giving David pep talks. Blake was a little more impatient than I, and he was a little frustrated, but also like very understanding of the situation. Like he just wanted to go, you know, I, I am also impatient, but I think a little more understanding him and I would go ahead of David and anytime there was like a turn in the road we would literally stop and put sticks in an arrow to tell David what direction to go in and then Blake and I would go hunt for checkpoints which was so fun I think those were the best hours of the race for me personally were hours 7 or sorry 7 a.m. to the end of the race I just had a really great time so Blake and I were hunting for checkpoints there were insane views my legs were feeling good my feet were fine because I wasn't running the whole time it was just like a really awesome experience I was taking fuel in really well I was being mindful of my water like everything was just going really smoothly my mood was up I took two five to eight minute naps uh, maybe around 6 a.m. after the sun came up I took a quick nap waiting for David and that felt rejuvenating. I felt like I had gotten a full night's sleep, honestly, after the second one. Blake and I are feeling good. We're just hunting for checkpoints. We're having a good time. We're navigating. We even tried to go find an optional checkpoint, but couldn't find it. Um, and then basically the rest of the race was just us slaving away. I think the funniest thing about adventure racing is that they literally set you off into this 
huge area, but you still end up in groups with people. Like I was in that pack of 20 people, you know, six hours into the race. And then at the very end of the race, like ninth hour, right? Like this is hour 23 to 24 of the race. We were in a huge pack of people going to this last checkpoint. I can just skip to the end. We, we go down this beautiful dreamy single track after the single track it was just road like dirt road and paved road biking to get to the end so we meet david at a section and we realized that we had gone past our last checkpoint and we knew at this point that we were going to be technically dnfing because we had skipped the optional checkpoints because otherwise we would have been out there for 30 hours blake and i were pretty determined to get all of the required checkpoints so we realized we had missed our turn for the checkpoint. And basically what happens is we tell David, you know what, we're gonna meet you in Drake's. Blake and I are gonna go do a 10 mile time trial on hills to go get this last checkpoint. And then we will all come in together as a team. So Blake and I take off. I cannot believe how much energy him and I had literally in the 23rd hour of this race. I'm not exaggerating when I say it was a 10 mile time trial on hills, like hilly mountain biking time trial. It was so fun. We were pedaling so hard. We got our checkpoint. We started just racing to the finish. The cutoff time was 2.50 and we came into the finish line at 2.35. So we were definitely cutting it extremely close. I was so happy to be done. My legs felt great, honestly, like nothing felt too bad. Today, I feel fine. The biggest thing is just the hunger. Like, that's a lot of calories you have to replace when you've just been straight moving for 24 hours. And that was my biggest fear with the hypothermia was when you're shivering, you're just expending calories. Like, you are truly just wasting energy. My muscles were cramping on the pack raft. It wasn't a good place, right? So I was super worried that I was going to just completely bonk. So I was really mindful of taking in my calories for the rest of the race. I slammed three gels at one point. I just felt fine. I took a five hour energy, um, maybe 20, 20 hours or so into the race on like almost an empty stomach and that sucked. My stomach took quite a turn and felt awful. So I was being more mindful of eating more. But really, the entire experience was magic, dude. I had so fun, so much fun. I would do it again in a heartbeat. I would literally go back and do a 24 hour race. I would like to go a little faster. I would do another race with David. He, he knows this, like he is just slower. I mean, I've been doing this shit for like five and a half years now. Like he's fully cognizant of the fact that he's just not on the same like endurance fitness. I would totally do like an eight hour race with David. Uh, 24 is a long time to just be catching up and waiting. And we're supposed to stay within, I think a hundred meters of one another, which I think, or 500 meters, something like half a football field length, whatever that is. We were supposed to stay that uh, distance from each other. And that just wasn't possible given the terrain. I just couldn't pedal any slower. He's fully cognizant of that. And um, I think it'd be cool to do it with like a team. I don't want to be too serious about this because honestly, it's just for funsies. It's triathlon on chaos mode. I will say though, I am so proud of David. I know he's going to listen to this podcast. So it's a little embarrassing to like tell him, but I did tell him straight up like David I am so impressed with your ability to just be in the pain cave for so long I I don't think a lot of people would have been in that headspace and that's something he he's very stubborn (laughs) for better or worse he's very stubborn I once saw this man cram a bear can completely full and I had space in my bear can I was like David I will take that loaf of bread like you don't need to and he was like no I got it and I was like Uh, okay do you want us to leave and he was like yeah and he spent like 30 minutes 
closing this bear can I was cackling we were on a backpacking trip with Chloe and Chloe and I were just in our tent like giggling because he was so stubborn about it but it was so funny and he was just pissed and it was great but I know this man is so stubborn and so I we we have this um analogy for him do you know that that thing that was going around on reddit where it was a snail who's always following you and you both live forever until the snail catches up to you so he's the snail he's the snail that just never stops and never stops moving he keeps going it's gonna be slow but he's gonna get there and I was so incredibly impressed like there was one point in the race uh, at checkpoint nine when David was in a really bad place it was like seven or eight in the morning and Blake was like we do have the option to just turn around where we came from and head back into town and I was like dude no we paid so much money we traveled so far to be here we can't turn around let's just go get our required checkpoints David will catch up I told David I said you need to figure out how to take care of yourself for the next eight hours and that means eating and drinking he was so mad at me by the way like he had such an attitude it was pretty I was pretty pissed (laughs) and he was pretty pissed (laughs) but I seriously gave him some tough love like tough love I think I've probably needed in the past that I've had to give myself and like lessons learned from ultra running but I was really mad at how many calories this man had left over at the end of the race. Regardless, whatever. You know what? It's fine. He learned his lesson. He'll eat more next time. Main plot line here is that David fucking crushed it. And I'm really proud of him. And he wants to do another 24-hour one in Mammoth. I'm like, dog, I don't know if I want to do that. It was just a really cool experience. And it was really cool to be there to watch someone do their first kind of ultra endurance thing. Because I've never really gotten to do that besides with myself. And it was really cool to watch him. I know he's miserable, but he did not quit. He did not give us. I was mad at him because I was like, David, just fucking turn your mindset around. Okay, believe you can do anything. And that self-confidence in ultra running is, it, it takes a while to come by, right? So that's a learning lesson that he'll have as he progresses in the sport. But I overall was just impressed. I loved the experience. I had a great time. I felt so good uh, after having hypothermia. I just felt good. Like I didn't feel super sleep deprived. I didn't feel like I was struggling on the bike. Uh, Anytime my legs felt tired, I would just kind of stop and shake them out and then everything was fine after that. So it was really interesting to be there for that experience and have that opportunity because this was definitely the longest event I've ever done. The longest time I've ever had in one day was a 17-hour event. Doing 17 hours on rim to rim to rim was my longest experience so far, and that was brutal. And then the 15-hour overnight in the White Mountains was brutal. So I was so amazed at how my body held up and so proud. And honestly, it brings me a lot of a lot of peace and a lot of confidence moving forward. So that was my experience at the 24-hour race. I don't really remember anything else. If I come up with anything else, I will have to bring it. I can't believe I just spent almost 45 minutes talking about that. That was awesome. I loved it. I would want to work on my orienteering skills moving forward. But other than that, it was a super fun time. And I loved it. And it was freaking awesome. So highly recommend if you're interested in doing something super chaotic sometime soon. Okay, so that'll wrap up that little section right there about the race. And I want to spend the rest of this podcast talking about something kind of fresh, kind of raw. I know on the last episode, I talked about dating, right? We had the whole come to Jesus, break up with your boyfriend, live your own life, be a girl boss episode, okay? I told you guys about the six-month boy cleanse and how I swore off men. Then I started dating again. I'm kind of figuring out what I want. And I recently have been 
talking to guys who are very different from the guys I was talking to for the first year and a half of my singleness. Like, this is so weird. So for a long time, I was strictly talking to emotionally unavailable ex-military for the most part, guys who never wanted to date me, would never in a million years settle down and commit to me. And that was totally fine because, you know, I'm still not really in a place where I'm like ready. I mean, I'm living in a freaking Prius and traveling full time. Okay. I'm not really ready for a big commitment, but it was definitely painful to go through that experience and kind of find out that way that I was emotionally unavailable. So I made a pact with myself. I talked about in the last episode about basically celibacy until I found somebody who had good intentions and was serious and stable and just health. You know, I decided I'm ready for health. So health kind of came to me one way or another. Um, and it's funny. I, I've been seeing a lot of emotionally available Jesus boys. I don't really want to get into religion on the pod. I think it's pretty clear where I stand. I'm very spiritual. My spirituality is my commune with nature. I feel connected to something bigger than myself. I'm not really a capital G-O-D person. Like, I don't, I think it's pretty self-aggrandizing. I said I wouldn't talk about it. Here I am. I think it's pretty self-aggrandizing to believe that there is this almighty being who looks like us and has created the entire universe. Like, let's be clear. My degree's in chemical engineering, okay? I do believe in the Big Bang. I do believe that the first element in the universe was helium and then, oh no, that's wrong. Fuck that up. The first element in the universe was hydrogen and then, you know, the protons and everything started colliding and started making bigger elements. I just screwed that all up. I read books a long time ago. I'm basically uneducated at this point. I've been out of work for two weeks. I I don't know anything anymore. Um, but that's pretty much my stance is like, yeah, we're, we're probably all connected to something. And I, I wouldn't call myself an atheist. I grew up with a weird spiritual background, but I feel connected to nature and other human beings. And my morality is based on kindness and on treating others with love and setting boundaries and believing that people are innately good. Okay. These are my beliefs. So I've been talking to a lot of like Jesus boys lately and like hardcore Jesus boys. And this is apt because of the overturn of Roe v. Wade. Again, I don't like to get political on my channels. I think it, again, I think it's just clear where I stand on things. I'm a California girl who lives in a car and I have nose, like I have multiple nose rings and I, you know, like I just think it's clear, right? So the overturn of Roe v. Wade, a lot of us are being impacted. Women everywhere are angry and upset because we now officially have less rights than our mothers did. I guess if your mom's still alive, then she now has less rights than she used to, too. But the point is, for the last 50 fucking years, we've had a right to a choice, okay? And I can't believe I'm talking about this. I did not think I was going to talk about this on this podcast episode. I... I'm open to people having their own beliefs. We're all raised very differently and I'm pretty open-minded about other people's beliefs. And I think that of course, nobody likes the idea of an abortion. Can we be clear? I Can we just all agree on this? Nobody likes the idea of an abortion. Like I, I think the point I'm trying to make here is that women are people and we have rights. And if a dead body doesn't have to donate organs, then why do we need to donate our bodies to a, a, fe- a fetus, like a clump of cells? Okay. That's where I fucking stand on this. And someone on my Instagram actually sent me a DM and said, 
your silence about this issue today has led me to unfollow you. Like, I can't relate to you. I posted a bunch about this, but I don't feel like I have an obligation to post about politics and what's going on. I like to use my platform for good, but I think that I have a right to process things and I have a right to privacy that felt kind of violated by that DM. Regardless, I reposted something that my nursing friend and nursing my nurse friend Anna posted about how she was raised uh, evangelical and then through nursing like came to realize that what beliefs she was raised with weren't accurate for her so I reposted something about you know her being pro-choice now like her evolution into that and I got a really scary text message from a Jesus boy and it started with I love Jesus and it ended with he basically gave me all of his conservative scary beliefs it was just a lot it was a lot you guys and i think that i have realized through these men that i'm talking to like obviously i knew he was godly or whatever and it almost made me feel like i needed to tone down who i am and it also made me realize that i like who i am okay like i want to be extremely fucking clear I am not going to tone down my personality for a man, ever. The fact that I have to feel like I need to pretend to be, I don't drink and I don't party and I don't cuss and I don't, that is not me, okay? It has taken me so long to get to this point of just inner wildness that I can express so freely and authentically and this whole experience of the Jesus boys is just like I like my chaos I like who I am I like that I'm wild I like that I I'm unpredictable okay I'm a good risk taker I like to take risks I cuss a lot as you could probably tell from this podcast episode we really went off the rails I like that I live in my car I like you know what I like myself and I don't think that that that's not something I need to be shameful of I'm allowed to make mistakes I'm a human being as long as I'm learning and growing from them there is nothing wrong with that okay and I think that has been the biggest lesson I have taken away from my Jesus boy experience this week. And I felt like that was a really great lesson to share on this podcast today, especially with our post dating episode last week, where I talked about being who you are and living your life for you. I really put my money where my mouth is this week and had my own come to Jesus. I said come to Jesus more times on this episode. The Jesus boys are rubbing off on, oh no, not rubbing off. I just watched the That's Cringe Girl Defined thing. I had to show it to David yesterday and that was one of the jokes in there. Um, the, the Jesus boys are teaching me something. I'm coming to Jesus, okay? That has been my experience this week. And I want, again, I do want to clarify, like I'm very open-minded. I think that None of us truly know what happens after death or none of us truly know what we're connected to, right? And I'm not a big believer in saying that one thing is absolutely correct. I do have a science background and obviously I'm, you know, raised with, I I was raised with this weird, like half Catholic, half like Buddhist (laughs) religious background. So I've kind of had to form my own moral and religious beliefs and like see what my parents have modeled and take out what I don't like and create my own beliefs. And that's just part of being an adult. It's part of being a human being and, you know, your brain forming. And I'm very open-minded with others' beliefs. And I think that's what threw me off the most about this text was it was just so close-minded. Like, I don't think it's fair to state your beliefs as facts, like inflammatory facts. 
and then leave no room for anyone else's opinion on something that's just unknowable. Like these are ambiguous moral questions that we all wrestle with. And it's just unfair to say it's my way or the highway. And I learned a really important lesson in that I like myself. I don't want to be controlled. I like my beliefs. I like who I am. And it's important to me to share that with another person who has the same beliefs, who loves nature, who finds value in physical suffering, who is open-minded, who loves others, who believes that it's a woman's right to choice. Like these are all very important things for me. And it took this week, I guess, to fully solidify that. So that being said, I've decided that I am no longer dating. I thought I was ready and I'm not ready. I just want to live in my Prius and do my own thing and be chaos and post thirst traps and have my laughs and be fun and embrace this period of my life. Like 23 is so freaking fun. I am having such a blast and I'm, I feel so confident and I'm so happy with who I am and I'm so proud of all the growth that it's taken for me to get here, okay? And I'm not going to let a man take that away from me right now. Someone is really going to have to add to my life and go with the chaos. Like, we need a golden retriever boyfriend, okay? We need the boyfriend who goes along with the chaos, supports the wildness. Like, I want someone who adds to my life and adds my personality. I never want to feel like I have to dim my light to be palatable to someone else, male or not, like even female friends or social media, like you are who you are. You might as well embrace that with courage and authenticity. And I encourage you today to express yourself in a wild and free way, okay? And we're reaching the end of the episode here. And I do apologize for getting kind of political. I went way off script yet again. I didn't really think I was going to talk about my beliefs, but it's been a raw week, right? It's been very real and raw for women everywhere. Men, if you're listening to this podcast, please, please, please support the women in your life, okay? We are the ones protesting in the streets and we need male support, right? We need the dudes to stand up for us. Uh, We live in a patriarchy. Here I go again, just expressing my beliefs. We live in a patriarchy and we need the men to support our beliefs. I think equality is important. I'm an engineer. I've experienced sexual harassment. I've experienced so much sexism in the workplace, in school, in daily life. Men, whatever you can do to support the women, listen to us. We are telling you what we need and it is your opportunity to be an ally and support the women in your life. My brother posted a TikTok. I'm such a proud older sister right now. He posted a TikTok where he was like, dudes, you guys need to fucking get your shit together. Okay. Wake up, help the women in your life. Women's right to choice. This is just the first thing. Okay. What do you think they're coming for next? Right? I'm a proud older sister. I love my little brothers. I think they're amazing people. And it's been such a blessing to watch them grow into the people that they're becoming. And they're such, they're such good young men. And I'm again on a tangent, but I love them. They're never going to listen to this, but I love them. And they're great people. That is my soapbox for the day. Again, I'm sorry if it got political and you didn't like it. Well, I'm not sorry because these are my beliefs and this is my podcast. So (laughs) I guess I'm not sorry. But if you have opposing beliefs, uh, feel free to actually no. I my DMs are not an open place to argue with people with opposite beliefs. After COVID and everything, I just it's not my job to educate. Right. 
have you heard of Google? Okay, there's an entire search engine dedicated to getting any information. We live in a day and age where anything you want to know is like two seconds away. You literally just have to type it and find it, okay? It is not the influencer's jobs to educate you all. It's exhausting. I am exhausted. That is why this Instagram thing of you sh- you didn't tell us where you stand on this issue. That is why it's fucking exhausting to me. I am tired. I'm tired, okay? Everything I care about is being stripped of me and the world is dark and Gen Z is not having a good time, okay? So it is not fair to ask me to do the emotional labor of educating you on something you can literally Google, all right? So I encourage you, form your own beliefs. Take a critical look at your background and the beliefs that you are taught and raised with and do some deep thinking on them, okay? And that includes everything, everything, even if you've beliefs that align with me. Take a moment, educate yourself, take a beat, you know? It's just, it's easier that way. And the world is a better place if we all do our research, right? Oh God, this is going to be a nightmare to edit and post again. Last week was vulnerable, okay? My skin was crawling when I announced that I posted that episode. It, it hurt me physically and I felt so vulnerable. A lot of people listened to it. I got a lot of positive feedback and that was really sweet and kind of you guys. I know it's hard to figure out where to give feedback because you can't really comment on podcasts or anything. I appreciate all the comments on the Instagram, DMs, everything. You guys have no idea. I'm so grateful for this platform. I feel so supported. Every day I get to wake up and be myself and make content and just be who I am loudly and proudly. I am so grateful for. So thank you for listening to this fucking fifth episode. Dude, we're five, six, no, five, we're five episodes into this. And I hope that something from this podcast resonated with you and you could take something really cool away. And you got to know me a lot better. That's for sure. You you got to hear a lot of stuff that I have never posted on the internet before. And I am proud of who I am. I'm proud of who you are. And I hope that you can make some serious peace with yourself after this episode. And I love you all. And you're beautiful and amazing. Uh, Please like the pod. Please, 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 please like. No, don't like it. Uh, Subscribe subscribe to it and uh leave a review i would love that please for the love of god please help me um i love this pod i'm really passionate about it i don't make money off the pod i literally just do this for funsies and because i like it so if you enjoyed the pod share it with your hottest friend we say this at the end of episode send with your hottest friend send it to your mom tell your mom you love her call her today please for the love of god uh send her the pod tell her to listen to it uh send it to your cousins anyone that you love and want to share this episode with please do And remember, you're beautiful the way that you are, and I love you, and you're so gorgeous, and you're fucking crushing it. Another day on this earth that you walk and talk and breathe and have to deal with the shit show and the news, you are crushing it, okay? So I love all of you individually, and I am so honored to be your gremlin leader, and I'm proud to be here. Okay, I'm going to be done now. I love you all. Okay, goodbye. Have a great day.